0: Sir, sure. Can
1: you hear me? Hi, sir.
2: You're be okay? You're at the Peace Arch Hospital.
0: Despite the fact that our emergency department in the physical space is so wonderful, we haven't been able to increase the staffing to be able to utilize all of that space. And to be honest, since our new ER has opened, especially nursing staffing level has gone down. Almost every single shift, we're working with not enough nurses.
3: In the past, we average sort of recruitment of around 8 to 12 family physicians per year. The challenge that we've had is most of that 8 to 12 is replacing existing family physicians that are leaving.
4: A perfect storm has descended on hospital emergency rooms. The shortage of family physicians that was apparent before the pandemic has worsened since COVID-19. Many medical doctors are taking early retirement or switching career paths due to exhaustion and burnout. With walk-in clinics now booked up days in advance, many people seeking non-critical medical care are turning to their local hospital's ER. However, once there, they quickly discover the chances of seeing a doctor right away are slim. In fact, their wait time could stretch into hours and hours. That's because, like their family practice counterparts, hospital staff, especially ER doctors and nurses, are resigning, retiring, or taking sick leave in record numbers. For many, the deciding factor is the increasing amount of abuse directed their way from frustrated and angry patients who are spending hours in crowded waiting rooms to see a physician. Are there other options than the ER or overbooked family physicians for those with non critical medical needs? And what's it actually like on the front lines of healthcare as already stretched facilities struggle with staff shortages and increasing demand? This is the power to heal. In this series of podcasts, we'll focus on the many innovative ways Peace Arch Hospital, located in White Rock, British Columbia, Canada, has been an integral part of its community. We'll talk to those who were instrumental in creating new initiatives for the hospital to grow and evolve along with the town it serves. In this episode, using the emergency room wisely. Is the ER of your local hospital really your only choice when clinics and doctor's offices are fully booked? What can we all do to help ease the congestion in these urgent care settings? And what are the causes and possible solutions to the current staff shortages in frontline healthcare? We'll look for answers and insights from two doctors who know only too well the problems facing our medical system. Dr. Rogan Thevaraja is a family physician at Hilltop Medical Clinic in White Rock, South Surrey, and the board chair for our division. Dr. Dan Crompton is head of the emergency room at Peace Arch Hospital. They were joined by Vicki Bryden, director of public relations with the hospital's foundation. The three spoke with veteran television and radio broadcaster, Wayne Cox, a longtime resident of the White Rock, South Surrey area.
1: Perhaps I can uh, begin by asking each of you to uh, tell us a little bit about your backgrounds, your medical careers,
3: and what your current roles entail. Dr. Uh, Thavaraja, maybe I'll start with you. I'm obviously from England, so, so I went to medical school at Leicester University. After I graduated, I was young and adventurous, so worked in a variety of places. I worked in Australia for a couple of years, in New Zealand and in Sri Lanka, and did some aid work in Sudan. So after that, I trained in paediatrics for a few years and then had a career change into family practice then moved over here to um, White Rock, South Surrey, in British Columbia. So I'm family physician at Hilltop Medical, and I'm the current chair of the division of family practice here in White Rock, South Surrey. And Dr. Crompton, how about you?
0: I did my medical training from UBC. I was one of the first group of students who did their training up in Northern BC, in Prince George. And then after my medical school training, I did residency in rural family medicine in Alberta. After that, did my emergency training in Saskatchewan and then came back to B.C. to start my career in Prince George. I worked there for about five years and then about six years ago, moved down to the White Rock, South Surrey area. And for the past a little over a year, I've taken on the role of department head at uh, Peace Arch Hospital.
1: Both of you gentlemen are (laughs) well-traveled.
0: And Vicki, one of the themes
1: that we're exploring in this episode is the wise use of the Peace Arch Hospital Emergency Department. And just to set the stage, the brand new ER at Peace Arch was recently opened. What role did the Peace Arch Foundation play in funding this new facility?
2: The Peace Arch Hospital Foundation raised $15 million to contribute to the overall $91 million investment into the hospital, which included a brand new ER and a brand new OR and also a new medical device reprocessing unit. So we have been fundraising for this brand new ER probably since 2011, 2012. We kind of started out a little quietly. It was a really long campaign. Many donors gave again and again to this and we were so excited for it to open in January of 2022.
1: You must be very proud of that new facility, Vicki.
2: We really are. The impact in the community has been phenomenal. And I know that Dr. Crompton will sort of speak to the challenges that we're all facing right now with the ER. But I have to say that the facility really exceeded our expectations in what we wanted to be able to fund for our community. A larger ER, more treatment spaces, more up-to-date equipment, all of that impact with donor dollars is happening now. We are so grateful for the community for that.
1: And Dr. Crompton, what is new and improved in the ER since the renovation? I understand well, a capacity for one thing is, is more than doubled, but what else do you see there that isn't a vast improvement?
0: Good question. What isn't new and improved in our new space? It's been remarkable. In our previous space, each room was separated by a curtain. You can imagine how much privacy that gives. Right now, all of our care spaces are generally behind glass doors, which gives a huge amount of privacy for patients when they're giving their history and having exams. Secondly, the size of it is obviously much bigger, allows us to have more people in the emergency department, for sure. The equipment and the functionality of all the care spaces is second to none. It's almost too good in a way in that each of our rooms can care for multi-levels of patients. So when the hospital gets full, which it is, often people who need all of those services and oxygen levels and all that kind of stuff, any of our care spaces can provide all of that high-level monitoring. We have lots of great new pieces of equipment, such as a portable x-ray C-arm, which we can use for setting fractures in the emergency department, so we don't need to send people to the radiology department to make sure that we've got the bones in the right place. That can just be done right there in the emergency room. Our acute care trauma space is all state-of-the-art equipment. The equipment we use for intubating, putting in breathing tubes, is again state-of-the-art. So it's easier to say what isn't new and improved. It's everything.
1: I see that as a win-win. It's a win for the medical staff, and it's a win for the patients who have to go in there. Congratulations on that.
0: Yeah, it's great, especially in those high-acuity situations where we have all of the best equipment. It makes it a much better place to work, for sure. Yeah,
1: of course, new equipment, increased treatment spaces, but you do need staff. And so many hospitals, we're hearing, right across the country are reporting shortages in people coming to work. Is that a problem at Peace Arch Hospital?
0: That is our hugest problem, no question. Despite the fact that our emergency department in the physical space is so wonderful, we haven't been able to increase the staffing to be able to utilize all of that space. And to be honest, since our uh, new ER has opened, especially nursing staffing level has gone down. Almost every single shift, we're working with not enough nurses. And this is coinciding with higher volumes as well, so you can imagine our wait times are just getting longer and longer. And it's not just us, it's all over the region, you probably hear it all over the country. but We are definitely experiencing it in a huge way.
1: So what are the major factors at play here? I know COVID must have had a big part of that, but are people not getting into the medical field now, or what seems to be the big factor?
0: I mean, to train a nurse, it takes at least four years. So it's not that just COVID, because COVID wouldn't have existed when the people who decided to go into nursing and are graduating nursing now started. So I think COVID definitely has an impact in people leaving the field. There's been more retirements than there has before during COVID, which I think has caused a strain on us. COVID's been really difficult as far as our work environment goes and has caused a lot of burnout for sure. And critical care in emergency nursing is really difficult. You're working in high acuity situations, you work nights, it's busy all the time. And so I think with retirements all over the nursing profession, some of our nurses look at other areas of nursing and say, oh, maybe I'd like to take on a different role in nursing that maybe isn't quite as challenging. And so I think we're definitely losing some of our emergency and critical care nurses to that as well, for sure.
1: Dr. Thabaraja, you have a unique perspective as both a family physician in White Rock, South Surrey, and also the board chair for the Division of Family Practice. Why do you think so many people from the area are turning to the ER departments when uh, it's not really an emergency, but they want to see
3: someone? I think this has been a sort of long-standing historical problem going back. I think a lot of it has to be around education and people understanding what is the kind of problem that needs to go to the emergency department and what is the kind of problem where you can go to a walk-in clinic or urgent care or see your family physician. So in the past, the division had run a campaign, Right Care, Right Place, to help support that. And that was successful. What I would say is that since COVID um, and over the last few years, I think there've been challenges in family practice. So we know that becoming increasingly difficult if you have a family practitioner to get access, A lot of our lists and wait times have been increasing over the last year. Understanding those reasons are complicated. I think some of that is pent up demand and perhaps people not addressing their issues during COVID. And I think some of this is also related to other access problems in the system per se. So as family practitioners we end up taking on that burden so if you've got say for example mental health issues and you're struggling to get access to say a psychiatrist then as a family physician I have to do my best to try and address those issues. So I think for a number of reasons we are seeing a crisis in family practice and we're seeing that in our walk-in clinics, we're seeing that in our own practices We're seeing that in increasing number of patients that are unattached and don't have a family physician. So that has a knock-on effect. If you're unable to see your family physician or you don't have a family physician and the walk-in clinic is booked up half an hour after it opens, which is what we sometimes see, then people have very little choice. So I think all of these problems and issues are interrelated. Some of these issues are things that we can look at locally, and then some of these are much bigger provincial or even national challenges. It must be very frustrating for you
1: when you have to turn people away, because you can only handle so many patients. Any family physician, there must be a maximum. There are only so many hours in a day. So what recommendations do you make to these people who come to you and you say, sorry, uh, we're full? What do you tell those people?
3: It's a real challenge. I think as family physicians, most of us try and provide some form of same-day access or emergency access, walk-in clinic access, some kind of cover. For people that are struggling to see their family physician on the same day, the question that they need to try and ask is, is this a problem that needs to be addressed today, tomorrow, in a week? or immediately and that can be a difficult judgment call i think it's a question that everybody needs to try and ask in that situation because going to the emergency department isn't necessarily the best option sometimes the best option as i say is waiting a few days to see your family physician you can't see them on the day because your family physician is going to be the person that can follow up and continue with that care You know, one of the advantages we have in family practice is we get to know our patients very, very well over the course of their lives. And so we are in the best place to solve what are often ongoing chronic problems. So as much as possible in these difficult circumstances, and I do recognize that they are difficult circumstances, that question people need to ask themselves is, is this a problem that is best going to be served by waiting for that appointment, which may be a few days out.
4: COVID. 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 COVID-19. COVID As one bed emptied, there was another patient right there to fill it. Now, a different story.
1: COVID cases falling sharply. It's a significant relief right now. The end is in sight.
4: As the number of reported cases of COVID-19 began to drop earlier this year, there were hopes that for medical staff, the stress and exhaustion brought on by two years of pandemic would be relieved. However, resignations, early retirement, and sick leaves continue to put enormous strain on health care right across the country, and especially for emergency departments already at capacity due to the shortage of family physicians.
1: Dr. Crompton, two-part question. We talked about COVID-19 and the whole healthcare system, which was already under intense pressure. I know that, the demand and the capacity. What are your thoughts on that and why do you think things seem to be getting more challenging in the medical system rather than getting better?
0: Yeah, you're right. COVID-19 definitely put a huge strain on us. You know, we seem to have gotten more of a handle on COVID and we're not having as many critically ill patients in emergency from COVID. The strain of that, as we talked about before, has caused a lot of our healthcare professionals to feel very burnt out and then couple that with the fact that having people having a difficult time to get in to see their family doctor, and our volumes are going up, it just makes it a a more and more difficult situation. So, yeah, COVID's been very difficult. And right now, I'd say we're not necessarily experiencing the huge volumes of patients that we were, say, during Delta and the really sick patients that we were seeing during Delta. But I think we're really dealing with the sequelae of And just the long-term slog that has become more and more difficult and that's caused people to leave the profession and then that just makes it harder on the people that are still here trying to care for the patients that we want to see. Yeah you mentioned burnout and I've also heard
1: abuse is often cited as a reason why some doctors, nurses, other medical professions uh, either retire early or become ill or they're forced to leave. Have you witnessed any of that kind of thing, either verbal abuse or physical abuse in the uh, emergency ward?
0: Oh, all the time. And I feel for patients. They come in, they're unwell, they're feeling terrible, they've struggled to gain access, and they come to us and they want to be seen quickly, and they can't because we just don't have the staff to see people as quickly as we want to as well. People get very frustrated with that, and for sure they take it out on the nurses, they take it out on the doctors. I think especially the nurses feel the biggest brunt of that which I find so difficult because these nurses that are still there, they're the ones that are working so hard. And if the patients could see how stretched they are and how hard they're working and how dedicated they are to the job, to even after all these years of COVID, they're still there and they're still working hard and they're still caring for patients as best as they can to receive the kind of abuse that they are. That's just so not warranted. And I get it sometimes sometimes. Everybody has bad days and sometimes a nurse will say something that maybe isn't the most kind thing because she's so stressed and 10 people have asked her the same thing and given her the same amount of abuse at the same time. I see it all the time and it breaks my heart, especially for the people that are working so hard to provide the care that we want to. And
1: Dr. Thavaraja, have you personally witnessed anything similar to that in your practice?
3: I would say that my staff definitely have seen an increase in frustration and verbal abuse. People generally are quite respectful to me but I think it's unfortunately my staff that tend to get the brunt of it. They're trying to do the best that they can with my availability and what I'm able to safely provide in terms of the care that I provide for my patients but for my own health and well-being at some level because we all have our limits and Capacity, so we definitely have seen that. Yeah, and it's not acceptable. We have a responsibility to take care and protect our staff. When you're talking about situations that we're talking about from a more global perspective, is understandable why that's happening. And Dr. Crompton, I
1: imagine in an emergency ward situation, there's a lot of stress involved in that, and uh, not only the patients but also the physicians. How do you balance that when you go home? You come out of the trenches there and you got to wind down. And is that a difficult process?
0: Yeah, in some ways it's become much more difficult in the last year that I've been the department head. I used to be able to go home and just de-stress and unplug, but lately... Since things have been very difficult in the emergency department, it often never goes away from me because I'm getting constant phone calls and texts from nurses and doctors that um, are asking for my help and advice when things are getting difficult. But as far as myself, I have a wonderful, loving family who supports me. Yeah, it's definitely my family that helps me keep going.
1: Well, Vicki, we've kind of wandered into a mental health uh, situation here. <laughs> and uh, the new mental health zone that's attached to the ER is now open. And in a previous episode, we spoke to some local firefighters who helped raise funds for this resource. Can you give us a recap on that campaign, how it went and how it's going now?
2: Yeah. The mental health care unit that the firefighters funded was part of the 15 million ER campaign. So we had lumped it together and we approached them because we knew that this was an issue that was really important to them and they jumped on board. And that was both the White Rock and the Surrey firefighters collaborated on this gift of $500,000. So they have a big part in helping us open that unit and we're so proud of it, and we're so thankful for their gift that they were able to make that happen. So they contributed five hundred thousand dollars to that fifteen million campaign.
1: And Dr. Crompton, have you seen uh, the mental health zone making an impact on the ER?
0: The benefits of the mental health zone is that it's a separate area for people with mental health conditions to come and be treated and evaluated. It's still part of the main emergency department, but it is somewhat separated to give that extra bit of privacy and safety for those mental health patients, which we see as a great benefit for our whole hospital.
1: I'm sure it will be positive, yeah. We were talking about, you know, shortages, staff shortages. Anything new on the recruitment line, Dr. Raja, anything there uh, recruiting doctors from out of province or out of the country even?
3: So I think as a community and uh, as a division of family practice, I think historically we've done very well compared to a lot of communities when it comes to recruiting family physicians, both out of residency, from other provinces and out of country. As I demonstrate, you know, I came from the UK. And so we have a dedicated staff member whose role is to help with recruitment, help physicians in what can be quite a complex and challenging journey for them to move across and so on. And so we have been successful. So in the past, we average sort of recruitment of around eight to 12 family physicians per year. Now, the challenge that we've had is most of that 8 to 12 is replacing existing family physicians that are leaving. So we had been keeping up with that pace, with maybe an extra doctor or two being recruited on top of that per year in what is a growing community. Even with that success, we have had some challenges, particularly in the last year. What we have seen in the last year is a number of physicians retire, and not being replaced. So projections as of October is we would have had an extra five thousand patients becoming unattached, assuming that there's a couple of physicians out there whose practice hasn't been replaced, assuming that they don't get replaced, those are the numbers we would be looking at potentially over the course of this year so far. That's definitely a concern and it's definitely a challenge. And I think that challenge is uh provincial or national challenge at some level. We do our best locally. I think there are a number of reasons for that. I think physicians, you you know, because of the challenges that they're faced, have perhaps chosen retirement and or change in their career. And I think on the other side, I guess physicians or uh, new graduates are choosing other pathways within medicine. They don't find perhaps family practice as attractive as maybe used to be for a number of reasons. They worry about overhead costs, they worry about the demands. And uh, maybe, you know, as a profession, it's uh, they have other attractive and perhaps better paid options within the medical profession. So those are all things that we as a division are expressing the challenges we're facing to our advocacy bodies and they're negotiating with the ministry to see what can be done provincially to help address this crisis
1: i'll throw this one out to whoever wants to answer it but do you think the government is doing enough especially financially to address this situation because it was no secret that there was a huge bubble of a population called baby boomers that were going to get older and we got older (laughs) and uh, and we get sick It was no secret, but it seems like any kind of government funding or government involvement, they seem to be caught flat-footed
3: on this one. I can't understand that, but do you feel they're doing enough? I'll talk about this from a family physician perspective. I think that some of these issues have been building up over a a number of years, and therefore, you know, it's been a slow burn, but then the, the crisis and the challenges we've faced are kind of Brought everything uh, a lot more to light. So, could more have been done in terms of better planning and recruitment of family physicians in the past? In retrospect, you can say the answer to that is yes, certainly. We know that the government is supporting family practice through the primary care network, which is something that's being rolled out at the moment, that the division is helping roll out, which is providing nurses and social workers and mental health workers to help support family physicians in a more team-based care environment. So there are some positive things that have happened and there has been a recent announcement around additional stabilization funding for family physicians to help support keep practices open because one of the challenges that Uh, many of my uh, uh, practices and clinics have faced is uh, say as we've talked about recruitment you know having staff um, overhead costs and all of these things so you know and that has led to the threat of certainly outside of our area of clinics actually closing but uh, threatening to close clinics in our community so there are some positive things that have happened but I would say as always you know we look back and think that perhaps more could have been done.
4: The Peace Arch Hospital Foundation has always taken a big picture approach to supporting better health care for the White Rock, South Surrey area. That means not only raising funds to support building upgrades and new medical equipment for the hospital, but also reaching out to the community and investing in projects that promote physical, social, and mental well being for all. And one of these outreach initiatives couldn't be more timely a campaign called Use Your ER Wisely. It highlights alternatives to the emergency department for those seeking non-critical medical assistance. The aim is to relieve pressure on hard-working staff at the hospital by encouraging residents to only turn to the ER for true medical emergencies.
1: And Dr. Crompton, I know with the brand-new ER... I guess you're uh, thanking your lucky stars. The Hospital Foundation was able to step in there and uh, add some extra funding to get the job done.
0: Oh, no question. And I say this many times is the care that we provide would not be possible without the Hospital Foundation. And I've said this before as well. When I, every day when I'm at work, I look around at the spaces that are there, the equipment that we have, and see the Hospital Foundation just all over it. Many of our donors have plaques in places where they've specifically donated to. It's impossible to get away from the foundation in our emergency department, which is obviously a great thing.
3: I just wanted to follow up with that point by saying that the foundation had helped support the division's recruitment efforts in the past. And so that's made a positive impact in terms of our ability to keep recruiting family physicians.
0: I would echo that as well. As far as recruitment goes, we've hired three fantastic new er physicians and the foundation was helpful at helping us bring them over and show them around wine and dine them and everything and it was uh, successful so we just hope we can hold on to them well vicky that must make you feel pretty good
2: it really does. I mean, it's just to be able to see the impact of the work that we do and the work that is funded really completely by our donors. So, really, our success is our donors' success, absolutely. And anything we can do to increase capacity, to make the system run better, to provide the equipment that helps our really dedicated, hardworking medical staff do their jobs, you know, to ease congestion. We will absolutely do it. It will be our number one priority.
3: I think that we have a very strong community here. I think that, and we have strong partnerships. And I think that leveraging those partnerships and working together is the solution, maybe partial solution for these problems going forward. You know, many of our physicians, myself and Dan included, do live in this community. And so we care for this community and we're all, actively involved in trying to address some of the challenges that we face. So, Vicki, the Peace Arch Hospital Foundation website,
1: pahfoundation.ca, has some good tips on alternatives to a lengthy wait in the ER for those with, well, non-emergency medical needs. Now, what are some of those?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we launched this campaign to really try and help our hard-working ER docs and nurses um, ease that congestion. So, what we're really asking You know our community to do. If you have a health issue, try your family physician. If you don't have a family physician, try a walk-in clinic. There is a website you can go to that can give you wait times in real time. So you you can kind of pick the one closest to you that has the least amount of wait times. You know, something like if you're having a, a mental health crisis, there is a number with Fraser Health that you can call. They also have the 811 nurses link. So you could speak to a nurse on the phone, get some advice that way, or perhaps, even an allied health professional can help you like a chiropractor or an osteopath the ailment that you have could an allied health professional help you so instead of using the er as a doctor's office and i get it when you're you're panicked and you're in pain and you you're just not really sure where to go that's what we're trying to spread the word about
1: dr Raja, if someone listening doesn't have a family physician what is the division of family practice doing to try and help people
3: get a doctor I think historically the division has uh, done a number of things. So the website Medimap is something that is supported and funded by the Division of Family Practice. So if you go on that website, one, you will see availability of walk-in clinics and wait times, but you will also see if there's any family physicians or clinics that are taking on new patients. We are also hopefully recruiting an attachment coordinator and so that person will help people that are vulnerable, that have complex medical needs, find a a family physician. One of the other things that we've done in the past in relation to this challenge is we helped found the Primary Care Access Clinic. That was a clinic that was designed to help support patients that attended the emergency department with complex medical needs that really needed some primary care support. And so that clinic was available to patients that were referred out of the emergency department. And Now, that clinic has had its own staffing <laughs> recruitment um, issues, but that is something that the division is getting actively involved with again to try and support so that there is... A place for, particularly for vulnerable patients, to receive primary care.
1: Well, Doctor Favaraja, thank you very much for your time. I know it's very valuable, and uh, we appreciate you taking time out of the day for us. And uh, Doctor Crompton, the same with you. And uh, we're just very grateful here in this community that both of you are here to help serve the people in need. And we just hope we can make it a little better for you and maybe a little easier to go to work. But we thank you very much for your time and we thank you for your dedication. Thank you very much.
4: This story from the Peace Arch Hospital Foundation is just one chapter of a much larger narrative. These podcasts shed light on how Peace Arch Hospital Foundation adapts to the changing needs of patients and their families by supporting initiatives that enhance the hospital campus and the health and wellness of our community. Peace Arch Hospital Foundation, where innovation comes to life in so many ways. Sometimes it may seem as if your local emergency room is your only option when you need to see a doctor. But there are alternatives available that will help you find medical assistance while allowing the ER to focus its resources on emergencies and urgent care. As part of our new Use Your ER Wisely campaign, The Arch Hospital Foundation has created a list of right care at the right place options for those seeking non-urgent medical help. You'll find links, information, and phone numbers for medication refills, mental health concerns, walk-in clinic wait times and hours, virtual care, and much more. Visit pahfoundation.ca to learn more. On our next episode, we'll speak with two Surrey firefighters whose charitable society stepped up in a big way to support Peace Arch Hospital's new Mental Health and Substance Use Zone. They'll share the reasons why their half-million-dollar gift is creating a meaningful legacy for their fallen comrades, while recognizing the stresses first responders face in their profession. Community partners, next time on The Power to Heal. Thanks for listening.